0: Welcome to this episode of Women to Woman podcast series. Our guest today is Revati Bhagwat. She has more than 30 years of global experience at various levels of social services in the field of women, children, and youth welfare. She was the CEO of Meljol. She's also been working with corporates and helping them create the right organizational culture focused on diversity, inclusion, and women's safety. Ms. Bhagwat is also serving as a board member Hi, Devithi. It's a pleasure to have you with us today here. It's really wonderful to be here. So your field is very different than what I have um, ever been close to someone with, right? It's it's a very different field. Um, It's not a lot of people get into it. So
1: can you talk a little bit about what you do and how you got started with it? Uh, Just to take you back in my university years, I uh, chose to go to this uh, School of Social Work in uh, Mumbai, and it's called College of Social Work, Nirmala Ketan, and it's affiliated to University of Mumbai. I have a degree and I have a postgraduate degree in the same uh, field. And that's how I started uh, my career. So by profession, I'm a social worker. So it's called professional social worker. I uh, got this degree in 1983. And since then, I've been active in the field. Initial years, of course, I was a frontline worker because that's what all of us do when we start our career. So my exposure was uh, to a slum area and that was quite a large slum in Mumbai. But my placement was in a municipal school because if you know the structure in India, most of the municipal schools are surrounded by slums and shanty towns, etc. So the focus was on uh, bringing back the children to school. So there were a lot of dropouts. Typically what happens is parents are really, really uh, motivated to send their children to school But over a period of time when um, they don't have time to make sure that children are attending school or there are certain things like they have a small child and the oldest child needs to take care of the small child. And then there is a dropout. Usually the dropout rate is higher among a girl child, which is quite obvious. Uh, So my, my work area was to work on dropout. Rate and how can I bring uh, down this dropout rate? But it did not restrict me only to work around that issue. There were a lot of uh, other issues like we had adult education classes in our municipal school because municipal corporation was very much keen in having these things you know, in place. So that once the um, women, basically women folks, they learn to read and write, there will be more awareness about education in general. And then I moved on, I worked in an orphanage. Uh, Then I worked uh, for industry, which was um, manufacturing tractors. I spent a lot of years uh, in that company. So that's how I started. And then I uh, came to Canada, I migrated to Canada. Uh, So that was a very, very courageous decision. And I'm really proud of that because uh, I had no job I didn't know anybody in Canada, but I wanted some uh, international experience for myself. And that's why I came here. But throughout my career, I have always worked with children and women.
0: So when, when we talk about, you said your first assignment was, you know, in the field, in a slum area in Mumbai. The first impression all of us think of is like a movie, like a slum dog millionaire, right? Where... It is hard to even walk through those narrow streets, and you actually had to go door to door convincing people to send either their kids back to school, especially girls, or even start that education. I'm sure it wasn't easy for you as a young woman yourself to be stepping into such a situation. What were some of those challenges like and what really helped you get through those?
1: See, uh, one additional, um, I I would say one advantage that we had is when I did my five years uh, in College of Social Work, uh, we, our time was equally divided between the classroom education and field work. Overall, I had five years of experience of working in the slums. So many challenges that I would have faced, I was supposed to face when I started working alone uh, were known to me, which was quite an advantage. Uh, but yes, but actually, when you do have to take responsibility for everything, because when you are a student, you always have your field instructor with you. Uh, whenever you have any challenges, uh, she will always be there to help. But when when you are working independently, you really don't have a lot of uh, support. You know, you really have to find your own way and. Uh, overcome those challenges the main challenge which we always had was going through the slum and finding the addresses because the addresses uh, that were registered in the school register were so scanty like you know what how would uh, they give even a detailed address like an apartment number or a street name because all these are lanes you know Tiny lanes, and uh, so they tried their best to give the addresses like next to so and so mandir or next to so and so store. But not everyone lived around a store or around uh, a temple. So asking many people on our way, and then some people uh, generally uh, they don't know, but they want to show that they know, so they would direct you, and then that actually was misleading. So that was the main challenge, I would say, is finding. A single home you know we would spend hours only to find a home the second challenge was convincing parents because their difficulty also was quite genuine uh, they had to meet uh, their requirements the basic needs and if they had to meet those a woman and a man both of them had to work so the eldest sibling who was available would look after the younger siblings and we didn't have those days in India, we didn't have something called Anganwadi which is kind of a crash uh, where you can send your children for free, all these systems came in later, not back in early 80s. So we didn't have many Anganwadis. We did, but those Anganwadis were not usually that accessible to parents. So these were main uh, challenges and convincing uh, took a lot of our time. Um, Many times we were not successful, to be honest with you. Social work takes a different kind of personality. So how
0: did you think about social work? And you had mentioned this in an earlier conversation that it was very early when you were in your high school years that this came about. So can you talk
1: a little bit about that? Sure. Typically after grade 10, we tend to think about what I would like to do. Right. And um, it was 10 plus 2 plus 3, that system, if you are aware about it. So after 10th, you go to college and that's the time you have to choose a stream, whether you want to go to arts or science or commerce. So I had already decided that I want to do arts. But what ended up happening when I finished my 10th grade examination, a friend of mine introduced me to this fabulous camp which was facilitated by uh, late Baba Amti. And I went there and I spent almost two weeks, uh, a very difficult life. It was in the month of May, uh, that too in Vidarbha district near Nagpur where the temperatures are like 40 degrees, 42 degrees, right? And we had to work outside and uh, we had to work with leprosy patients. And because those days Baba Amte's work was restricted, limited only uh, to the uh, medical issue of uh, leprosy. It was a very difficult life, Uh, wake up at five o'clock and then go out, do the work, come back, then listen to the lectures. And I didn't understand anything. My first orientation to Marxism, Marx, and Angels was uh, that time. And I was too young to understand those concepts, but I could get the feel that this is something uh, that is different. And that's the time I first realized that I'm so privileged. And when you realize uh, when you have that feeling of being privileged that's the time that's a eureka moment that time you feel that no I have I have to give something back to the society and this is what I want to do so I was highly inspired by Baba Amte and his uh, work and his uh, Karishma, everything. Any other influences in your life apart from Baba Amte? It's my mom. Because my mother, in whatever way she could expose me to various things, she did it. Um, she didn't have a lot of resources. But my parents, actually, when I came back from that camp and when I started talking so much about Babamte and the work and everything, they uh, tried their best. No, none of us knew about this course, you know, that uh, University of Mumbai offered. But one of my distant cousins, she uh, she actually was uh, going to the same college and they accidentally met her. And that's how they came to know that there is such a uh, professional um, uh, academic course available. And that's how they introduced me uh, to this. And my mom played a major role uh, getting me ready for my interview, group discussion, essay, everything. I uh, went to a vernacular medium school. So going for this interview at uh, College of Social Work was a a big challenge because uh, English was introduced to me when I was in grade. So I learned ABCD when I was in grade five. And then suddenly after grade 12, going out for an interview and a group discussion was a big challenge, but my mother really worked uh, with me and gave me a lot of support and encouragement. So I consider her as my uh, main influence as well.
0: Moving to Canada, you also continued your work with children. And so now you have this global experience working with children in India, working with children in Canada. Do you see any similarities in the challenges that they face or the circumstances that actually bring them to a place where you would provide them services well.
1: You know what? I keep uh, thinking about this, or rather I used to think a lot about it. Like whenever I started working in Canada, my mind always went back to India and the children in India, right? Because the social structure is so very different. But after all, children are children, wherever they are. Here, at least these children uh, had basic, uh, their, their basic necessities were met. They had a shelter, they had food, and they had clothes. In India, our kids don't even have that. In that respect, these children are more, uh, children in Canada are more privileged, but not really in many other ways, because in India, we have a very strong family system. So if the child is uh, being neglected by a father who has taken up to alcoholism, then there is always mother. And mother is a strongest influence in their lives. And I've seen, because having worked with alcoholics even in India and in Canada, I can see this difference that in India, you might find a father being alcoholic or a father who's gambling or who has taken up uh, drugs, but you will always find a mother or grandmother, aunts and uncles, who are there to support, you know, because the family system is quite uh, strong. Whereas in Canada, I find that the whole family structure is not that strong, not to that extent. And then children are impacted uh, because of that, because the mother and father, both of them, if they take up uh, to alcoholism, then who's going to look after the children? And then it is so uh, private, their own lives they're so and I feel bad for the parents as well in Canada because they're lonely in many ways but in India parents are not that lonely over here they're really lonely because they move out when they are 16 or 18 there is no um, support from their parents there are issues like generational poverty generational uh, mental health issues all these issues are there and hence I think that When you look at the holistic picture, the children in India and children in Canada are no different. They are usually impacted because of their parents' behavior.
0: And in Canada, once you got there, you also started working in a different environment completely, right? You kind of had to establish all over again because you had a standing in India. You had worked for corporations. You kind of um, had worked in the field. How did you do this transition?
1: Yeah, so... um, I would like to just say that when I had applied for immigration to Canada, uh, that immigration process took almost three years. So I got that time to think about it. And when actually it arrived, when my visa arrived, uh, that, was, that came like a shock still. Although uh, we had processed this decision as a family, I still felt that uh, it came like a shock because I had uh, made an application and then I just forgot about it. The the thought always used to come up in my mind that what if it comes today? What if it it comes tomorrow? But then when it didn't come for two years, I had already moved in my career uh, and I moved from being a counselor to, um, to handling manpower recruitment in that same company. So I had a title, I had a comfort zone, a good salary, good benefits, and then suddenly this happened. But then my son and my husband were extremely supportive of this decision. And they said that all of us together will make it happen. And that's how I gathered a lot of courage and encouragement from both of them. And then I made the move. Of course, that move was not at all easy uh, because I landed first stayed here 18 months by myself and then i sponsored my uh, son who was then in grade 12 so he was also going through a different kind of a transition and then he was going to be only with me and i was going to be a single parent because my husband had already had his own business and we didn't want him to we didn't want i didn't want actually him to be uprooted and come to canada so yes there were challenges and uh, We had to work together to face those. After coming here, I again had to lose my title, take a a salary um, sort of which was quite less than what I used to earn. Although you cannot compare rupees and dollars, but still I knew uh, that if I was living in Canada at that particular stage in my life, how much I would have earned, right? So I had to lose both these things, but I was really willing and I never repented for the same because I gained so much uh, more, you know, in return. You also mentioned you worked, um,
0: your corporate job back in India was in a factory, right? With a lot of workers. And it was just two of you handling all these workers and the two women, the only two women handling all these men, more than 2,000. That was so interesting just to hear it and, You actually lived through it. Yes. So what were some of your key challenges in those positions?
1: So uh, just to take you back to those days, uh, this factory had almost 5,000 workforce. Some of them were uh, officers and many of them, almost 4,000 were workmen. But our appointment was done for all employees. It was not limited only Uh, to workers because everybody uh, had some problem or the other and they needed counseling and they needed guidance I was uh, initially I had not even found out how many women uh, employees are there so when I started working I was so happy that I got this job this opportunity to work with so many people etc I never even uh, thought about it that oh uh, how many female colleagues I would have and then it ended up that we were only three women. One was in account section and two of us as counsellors. So there was there were a lot of uh, stereotypes as far as women were concerned. So we were supposed to wear saris, then wear bindi, and then wear a mangal sutra, because that was the expectation. Uh, many times I was asked if I, had not, uh, I, if I was not in sari, why did you not wear it? Can you... Like, I can't imagine anybody asking this question to me if I was in Canada, you know. (laughs) So those questions were asked. And then we have this biggest festival of light, which is Diwali. And if I didn't go on leave, people would ask me, oh, you don't have to go home and Uh, prepare for your uh, whatever you make for Diwali and I said no I don't have to and they would uh, be surprised a lot of stereotypes oh so you come here at early in the morning you have a son who is in grade one and you go home so late so who takes care and then I used to tell them you know what my husband actually when I took up this job my husband decided to move his office from uh, central Mumbai uh, to next door, you know, of my house, apartment, just because he would always be there if my son required him. And that uh, answer, really, they couldn't digest. (laughs) So a lot of these things happened. The main challenge over there was, we faced a tremendous amount of sexual harassment at workplace. And I think that is Uh, the most important reason why I have chosen my uh, current sort of path or career because now I am an independent consultant with uh, many corporates and uh, I'm not sure whether you are aware but then in India there is an act called Posh Prevention of Sexual Harassment of Women at Workplace and this act came into being in December 2013. Each and every workplace Having more than 10 employees must have a committee who would be uh, taking care of the complaints, you know, sexual harassment complaints. And also, there would be an internal committee and uh, internal policy. And on that internal committee, there would be an external member. So and I would actually move in quite seamlessly with having experienced sexual harassment at workplace previously. That was really bad. And um, both of us uh, really faced that challenge because there was no platform where we could make a complaint. Even if we decide to talk to somebody, that would be a male colleague, right? Or male boss. And we didn't feel comfortable speaking about.
0: So it looks like things have changed a little bit, uh, but there is a long way to go. Do you think these committees are I know this is speculation on your part. Do you think they're completely unbiased? What do you find? Because you're the external consultant that goes and checks whether, you know, all the checks and balances are there. What typically do you find? Are they unbiased?
1: Yes. So uh, I'm really lucky to be working with uh, the corporates that are very serious about this issue. And there is zero tolerance as far as sexual harassment of women is concerned. I found all my clients extremely sincere in doing their job, although all of them are internal members of the organization. And I'm the only one who is an external consultant, but I have never had any experience where I found that the committee was biased. That's, that's really good to know. In fact, at times I, have, I those would be very less. But I found myself uh, because I hope you know the, I think you know the process, right? You complete the inquiry, and if you verify the allegations raised by the complainant, then there is. Uh, An action that we need to, as committee members, need to recommend against that respondent. So two, three times I found myself actually suggesting an action which was not that uh, intrusive or which was not that strong as the other parties suggested. So I was quite
0: lenient. Wow. Yeah,
1: yeah.
0: So seeing everything you have seen, are there certain things that we as women can maybe do to help ourselves in situations um, like these? Whether it's workplace biases, whether it's sexual harassment, or whether it's the stereotypical expectations? Yeah,
1: so I would say that Whenever a woman is asked uh, some awkward questions, like I was asked, I would strongly recommend that you need to really strike a conversation with that person and not let go or, or please don't ignore because these conversations are important. You can you might be able to convince the, the person about the values that you cherish or the values that are important to you. You might find your allies by talking to them, even if they're male. Kali. So that's one thing. The other thing is raise your voice, wherever you are, raise your voice, whether it is about sexual harassment, whether it is regarding racism, because I have uh, uh, experienced that after migrating to Canada. So you really need to raise your voice, talk to your superiors, don't be hesitant or don't shy away from these things.
0: You also mentioned,
1: you know, share your values. Can yeah. you share your values with us? All of us have many values that we want to sort of keep up to. I think I find myself very compassionate, and that's the value that is very important, even for me as a person at the same time uh, while doing my work. other other value is integrity. I think that's very important. Uh, so compassion and integrity, these are the two values. And the most important is just uh, be grateful to whatever you have.
0: You do a very important work, something we all talk about, but we all try to do our little parts from where we are, but you're actually in the forefront doing a lot of work. What would you say to other women or other people who really wanna get into this field? What should they look for and what would be the
1: best entry point? I think volunteering is the best entry point because there are no expectations from either party. You get exposed to various uh, social issues and then you can test, you know, your aptitude. Not everyone is fit to do a social work in whatever way, you know, so just test yourself. So I think to start with volunteering is the best thing for any individual and then make up your mind whether you would like to do this or you would just like to uh, volunteer or you would like to take it up as your profession.
0: That's great advice. To your point, there are no expectations on either side when you're doing the volunteership and then that you can assess whether you're built for it because as, as I said, it takes a different personality. I know a few people who are into social work, they're extremely selfless, extremely focused on the issues And they go over and beyond in many different ways. You know, so a lot to learn there. Yes. In terms of um, final comments, Hmm. anything you want our listeners to leave with?
1: I would just like to uh, say that as as a woman leader, one must find an opportunity to strike conversation with anyone for that matter, because when you are a leader in your own organization, there are many people who don't really like you as a leader. And I have always uh, followed this as a leader, that when I know that so-and-so person really doesn't like suggestions, I won't say orders, because in our field, we don't give orders. In our field, it's always consensus, seeking consensus. And, uh, that's also a very important skill to be a social worker. So I know that there, are, there were people, uh, especially men folks, who really didn't like to go with the idea that I made and that uh, opposition was for the sake of it. I'm pretty sure there are a lot of women leaders out there who might face the same challenges from their male subordinates or male um, team members that they don't want to listen. So I think that is an opportunity. And strike conversation, try to talk to people, uh, build a lot of network while you work. Because I think nowadays network is something which you cannot ignore. You must have your own network, build allies. That's also very important. I think these are three things which I found really important um, during my career.
0: Thank you so much, Revati, for your time and this awesome conversation. We learned so much in a field that's much needed, but not a lot of us have exposure in. So really appreciate your time. Thank you, Divya, for having me. And it was a wonderful conversation.